Okay, a couple of quick things um, related to the identity. Um, Lisa had given this to me that if you're online, that the handouts like the notes for this morning and all of that are on 12thavenue.org.identity. I know they've been emailing those out, but we're going to have a few more resources on there. A couple of things would be there is a sheet that uh, I have in the back that you want to get that talks about statements Scripture has about who I am in Jesus. Somebody had told me a few weeks ago that they had kept something like this in their Bible for years and would frequently look at it to help them stay grounded in their identity in Him. Also back there have a thing, a, a way just if you need to reflect about everything we've been learning and to think about that and take your life before the Lord, there's a sheet back there. These are both at the information desk. You can grab on the way out. And also... We had had 400 of these cards made as a way to put in your Bible to remind you of a lot of what we've been talking about and totally ran out of those last week, and so we got more. So if you don't have one of these or want to get one for a friend, those are also back at the information, information desk. And before I jump in, one more thing I need to say. We're new grandparents. Yeah, hard to say that without emotion. Adeline K. Mejia was born last night at 8.37, so we're thankful for that new life and pretty excited to, to get to know her. Would you stand with me? I want to turn. You don't, you, we are going to be in John 10. You don't need to turn. I'd like you to hear the word. So would you stand? I would like you to hear what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Here's what he said. He said, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep, they listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all of his, out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not, does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed, and he's raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple, courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews 
who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And this is the word of the Lord. That you may be seated. Yeah, keep your finger. Turn there if you're not there to John 10, because that's going to be the focus of our attention this morning. Um, We are finishing up the identity series um, this morning. Just want to remind you, everybody builds an identity on something or someone that it's unavoidable. The question is, on who or what will you build your identity? And our whole goal in this is that we would have an identity grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ, living as a child of his, a beloved child, and not as an orphan. And um, a goal also has been just to give us some common language so we can walk together in this and encourage each other to live out our identity in Jesus. And as I said the first week, our culture is telling us, crying out for us to to self-create an identity, to define ourselves. We're just bombarded with those messages, to find yourself and define yourself. And I just saw a lady not too long ago uh, with a t-shirt that said this, be you, do you, for you. I mean, that, that so encapsulates what our culture is saying. I mean, even our beloved Pixar and Disney are crying out to us, define ourselves by our feelings and our inner desires. Take Moana, for instance. In the song, Where You Are, the True Hero Behind the Hero, Grandma Tala says, Once you know what you like, well, there you are. Remember, you may hear a voice inside, Moana. That voice inside is who you are. Everything in our culture is telling us that, to define ourselves, to name ourselves, to look at our desires. And before I get to this text, I just want to briefly hit that to me there's three major problems with our culture's telling us to have a self-constructed identity. Um, And it's this. um, The three problems with that is is that those internal desires are an unreliable compass, that that is crushing to do that, and that this idea of self-defining and self-constructing identity is a myth. So first, that idea that it's an unreliable. My inner desires and feelings and longings are an unreliable compass. I want to just hit three ways that that's true. Number one, your inner feelings and desires are totally contradictory. You know that? I mean, you know that, right? I've got thousands of voices inside of me, parts of myself, whatever, and some of them say one thing and some of them say another thing. I mean, when you're a teenager, some part of your, there's something inside telling you, rebel against your parents and their authority. Don't do what they say. But then there's a voice inside of you that's like, no, honor them and, and you want to please them. Like, we all have these contradictory voices inside and desires, right? And so the question is, if I'm going to self-construct, which of those do I choose? Which do I choose and which do I which do I kind of set off to the side? Because it doesn't matter. When I choose some of those things, the reality is there's going to be some contradictory ones still inside of me, and I'm going to have this deep sense of not having integrity because there's a part of me that I've not defined as myself. And the other thing is not just which ones do I choose, but why do I choose? When people self-construct an identity in our culture, why do we choose what we do? And I'm going to hit this in a minute, but it really has a lot to do with our culture 
that our culture defines for us what is good and what is bad, and our culture is what tells us what to elevate inside and what to push down. Um, so they're, they're contradictory. Then they're always in flux. Our desires are always in flux, always changing. They're erratic and unstable. I mean, even your inner dreams are always in flux. Most people who get into college change majors multiple times, right? Because your dreams are changing. I wanted to be a scientist in fifth grade, a national park ranger with a horse and a dog in seventh grade. And, and now look at me, right? Um, I want to tell you just what inside of you is always changing your desires and what you value and what you think is good. I mean, for like the college students that are here, think, if you think back on your 15-year-old self, you'll look back and you'll be like, oh my gosh, the things you thought that were important you desired, you're like, what a fool I was, right? Well, I want to tell you, when you guys, when you hit 30, you're going to look back at yourself now and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Like, what a fool I was. And when you get almost 60, you're going to look back on your 50-year-old self and you're going to be like, what a fool I was. The things that I did or that I thought, and I can't wait till I hit 70 and 80 and all of that and get to look back. The, tr the reality is, do you want to know what the truth is? I'm a fool, no matter what age. So why am I going to build an identity when I'm always in flux, like the, the, so much of what's going on inside of me? And then third, they're an unreliable compass because I just want you to know your internal desires, that they're corrupted. They're corrupted. When I talked about idolatry, I talked about that sin has disordered our desires, that my desires get all mixed, messed up. Jeremiah 17.9 um, says this of the human heart, that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The NIV, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's the reality of what's inside of here. In Matthew 15, 18, and 19, Jesus says that it is the things that come out of a person's heart that defile them. That's why G.K. Chesterton said that the one thing that the one Christian doctrine everybody agrees on is the doctrine of the corruption of the human heart, of sin, because it's so evident and we all know our hearts. Um, and that's why for most of human history, the great thinkers of every culture and of every age have said, don't trust your inner feelings. That's not a safe place or a good place to build an identity, even though they wouldn't talk about identity, but they're like, don't trust what's inside of here. So I just want you to know, I mean, I think you know this, that the human heart can't be trusted. That if I self-create an identity based on what's in here, it will never be durable. It won't be holistic. Um, it will not be life-proof. Because the truth is, I am finite, I am flimsy, I'm fickle, I'm flawed, and my heart and my desires are flawed and fickled. I mean, don't you know that? So I really, my cry today is, is to tell you desire is not destiny, because that's what our culture says. Desire is not destiny. That your desires are not the most defining part of you. Though it may feel that way, they're not the most defining part of you. I know by experience, trust me, don't trust what you feel. Uh, that's why a couple weeks ago I used the Campus Crusade or the crew train. Don't let your life be driven by internal feelings. Um, let feelings come at the rear. Let facts be the thing that, that, that drive you. And then two other things. Um, it's an unreliable compass. It's crushing and it's largely a myth. The crushing, I, I think you know this. Carol talked about it. When, when all of that weight of you building an identity is on yourself and you're constantly in flux and changing, the weight of that is so crushing, it is suffocating. 
for the rest of your life to be constantly internally looking in and what are my main desires and who am I going to be and how am I going to self-identify, that that is such a crushing burden. And this, the young generation, a lot of you young people are hearing this more than ever, and I think that's why the mental health of the younger generation is so affected by this message. Just a survey that came out, um, well, there's one, I was reading a lot of surveys, but for a long time, the rates of like depression and suicide and anxiety for, for the older generation stayed relatively the same, didn't go up much, but like 15, 20 years ago, there was a sudden huge acceleration or increase in the levels of struggles with mental health among the, the two youngest generations like never before. And I think part of it is this pressure, this crushing pressure to define yourself. Um, just last year, the American Psychological Association, talking to Gen Z, found out that 91% of them said they had an, a, a major um, crisis of mental health and anxiety last year in 2021. And only 45% of Gen Z defined themselves their mental health as being good or very good, only 45%. Because it's crushing. You're being told a lie. And that's this last one is largely a myth. I wish I had time to talk about this, but I don't. Uh, two ways. Just cultural, you have a cultural identity and a consumer identity, all of us more than we know. This is probably what Jordan and I are going to talk about in the podcast tomorrow. Um, I just want to hit the consumer one really quick. Lewis Lapham has said the loss of identity is good for business. There's a lot written on this. How many of you have seen The Social Dilemma, the documentary? Okay, it's a must watch. There's, there's a lot of people in all the social, in a lot of the consumer giants and in the social media, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, all of that, and they are be, they're very honest that they desire for young people to have a fluid, non-solid, malleable identity because if you don't have a solid identity, which is if you build it on yourself, you will not have a solid identity. If you don't have one, they will sell you one. If, you, if you've seen or haven't, whatever, the social dilemma, go back in at 38 minutes, watch and see what I think the, one of the directors of Facebook says about how they're trying to create an image-based identity generation so they can just sell a lot of products. We are more influenced by culture than we know in this whole identity thing. And I think it's largely a myth that you can self-construct. There's a lot in culture that's actually construct, wanting to construct us. And it's not as self-constructed as we think. So tell you a quick story um, of why we can't build an identity on ourselves. Um, when Kieran went to K-State Salina and did his major in unmanned aircraft systems, he had to become a private pilot as part of that major. And one day we were talking and he goes, Dad, he goes, do you know what causes like most crashes in small planes? It's not mechanical. It's actually what's called the death spiral. That pilots will get in a plane and if they can't see the horizon because of fog or whatever, he said, when you fly that way, he said, you always have to be dependent on, he said, they tell you in flight school, it doesn't matter if it's a clear day, be dependent upon the instruments. Do not trust what you feel in your body. The instruments, it's everything, the instruments. And he said, when you can't see the horizon, he said, what will happen frequently is somebody will, um, the fluid in your ears, the fluid in your ears can change so much. And he said, all you do is you just tilt it one degree and your fluid will shift and the fluid in your brain will tell you that you're level when you're not. And he said, what will happen is an instrument, then they'll kind of start tilting and their brain keeps adjusting to that. And then they happen to notice that their altitude is going down because once you tilt, um, the lift is not as strong as gravity, so it starts pulling the plane down. And he said, you'll notice that the altitude, your altitude's gone down. And he said, what you're taught to do in altitude goes down and pull back on the throttle to get more power. But he says, what that power does is it actually drives you more to the left and you think you're ascending, but you're actually descending. 
And he says, if you try to correct it, in, and if you aren't paying attention to the instruments, it'll tell you your level, but inside when you correct it, you feel like it's not level, and pilots easily turn back. Do you guys remember John F. K. Jr., who died? Um, he died doing, this is what he did. And he said, he said, so a lot, then what you end up is, you end up in what's called this death spiral, and by the time you realize it, it's too late, and it's not good, right? I mean, that's why it's called a death spiral, right? And I just want to tell you, just like a pilot, we need instruments that are outside of ourselves to guide our life. Do not depend on what's eternal. It's got to be something outside of yourself. And that's where Jesus comes in, and that's where John chapter 10 comes in. Profound passage. I said in week number two that whatever we build our identity on outside of ourselves, it has to be a person because we're relational beings. And I said that that person had to be somebody who was totally stable and unchanging, that none of the F words apply to them. I don't mean the bad F words. I mean like finite and flimsy and all that. Okay, none of the F words apply. Totally stable. Somebody who is absolutely good. Um, it's said of the, the younger generations, I've quoted this several times already, that, that you guys long to be uh, loved but are afraid to be known. So it has to be somebody that totally knows me, totally knows me, my garbage and all, everything about me, and still loves and accepts me, though they know me. Somebody who's demonstrated their love for me, and if they would like die for me, like what better demonstration of love, right? And if that person who is, could be the one who designed and created me, that's all the better because they know their intent when they designed me, they know how they made me to be. So in other words, it has to be someone whom I can fully trust. I'm going to tell you, we find all these things in Jesus, and they're here in John 10, that he's the only place to put my true identity. So I just want to hit, to me, the big ideas I see in John chapter 10. First, the idea that Jesus, oh, there, there, there's Kieran, by the way. He didn't, he wasn't in a death spiral. He just taught me about the death spiral. Okay, he's fine in Oregon Jesus is the only one to place my identity because he is the only one that's stable and unchanging. Look at verse, the end of verse 30 again. He says, I and the Father are one. That was a profound statement because as soon as he said it, they picked up stones to stone him, right? And he's like, hey, what have I done? Why are you trying to kill me? And he says, it has nothing to do with what you've done. It's what you just said because when you said, I and the Father are one, you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus did. He claimed to be the creator. He is the only stable one. That's why Hebrews 13.8 says of him that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the only unchanging one. He is God and the creator. But not only must that person be stable and unchanging, they must be absolutely good. Absolutely good. Um, and I want you to know Jesus is absolutely good. I love this text. In verse 2 is the first time he calls himself the shepherd. Calls himself the shepherd. Six other times in the text, he calls himself that. But look at verse 11 and verse 14 especially, because he, he, he defines it even more in depth. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, dot, 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 we'll come back to that. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. So three times he calls himself the good shepherd. In Greek, there were two words for good. There's the Greek word agathos, which means morally good. And there's the Greek word kalos, which means Morally good, but in a way that is beautiful and winsome and attractive. Which of those two words do you think Jesus chose when he defined himself as good? The first or the second? Yeah, it was the second, kalos. I am good in a way that's beautiful and attractive. And that's why I think there's just been a consensus throughout all of history, whether you believe in Jesus or not, that that man was the embodiment of goodness more than anybody and the embodiment of beauty and of truth. And so he is good. 
I also said that person must fully know me. And I want you to know part of his goodness is I, in him I am fully known. Um, look at the second of his good shepherd declarations in verse 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, which is the most intimate of knowledge, right? I really love this because that word know occurs eight times in this text. It's really important. And it's the Greek word for know, gnosko, that doesn't just mean head knowledge, like, oh, I know about him. It is to know intimately, relationally, experientially. It's a very deep word. And he's like, I know my sheep, I know all of you deeply, intimately, in a relational kind of way. And not just known, but I'm known by name. Look at verse 3, where he says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep. He calls his own sheep by name. That he knows me by name. If I have time and I don't, I would tell you the story of a man I met. It was a very brief encounter. Um, introduced myself to him. There was a purpose for it. Several years later, met him in another state. Unbeknownst to either of us, we would run into each other. And he said, hey, Garen, how are you? And I was so struck by that. I later found out this man has a photogenic memory. Uh, now that I'm over 50, I have the opposite of a photogenic memory. I have a like non-existent memory. But... Um, but when he did that, that, like, that really deeply impacted me, that he remembered my name. And I want to tell you, this idea of being known by your name, is, I think, is really important. But not only does he fully know me, but I said that person has to love you, right? Has to love you unconditionally. And I want you to know, in Jesus, I'm fully loved. I mean, all through this, this, this text, this shepherd language is implying care and love, right? That's what the shepherding language implies. But I also said, not just loves me, but can, will demonstrate it by giving their life for me. So look down at verse um, 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You go down to 15. I lay down my, just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 17, the reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up five times. He talks about the fact that he would give his life for us to bring us into relationship with himself. So he not only knows me and knows me by name, but he loves me. And he doesn't just love me. He's willing to give everything for me, right? That's the thing we, I think we all deeply long for. But in him, even more than that, I'm also in Jesus, I'm fully secure. He just piles on in a really good way. This is not a bad way. There's just so much stuff in here. Look at verse 9. That in him I'm fully secure. Verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then if you'll drop down to verses 28, 29, and 28 and 29. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can, can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I want you to know his love for you. It is secure. It's impregnable. Pregna, impregnable. Okay, I didn't sleep well last night because I had a granddaughter over at the house. But <laughs> impregnable. You know, you can't get it. You can't break into it. He says, you are in me, fully secure. You're in my hand, and I'm in the Father's hand, and nobody's taking you out. So only in Jesus am I fully secure. Only in him am I fully secure. And I want to hit another thing that to me is really powerful because when I read in this text, talks about that he knows my name. I was really struck because when we read through the New Testament, there was something in Revelation 2 that I really loved. Jesus not only says he knows my name, but in Revelation 2, he says something else. And here's what he says to a church 
in Revelation 2. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give, I will give that person a white stone with a, with a what? With a new name written on it. Known only to the one who receives it. And according to Isaiah 56, 8, it is an everlasting name that will endure forever. And when I, I remember when I read that, that struck me so powerfully. Because the one who most intimately knows me, who created me, is the one who actually will name me. And not just will name me, he knows my name even now. When we talked about praying in Jesus' name, do you remember I talked about in their culture, name wasn't just something you stick on your Starbucks cup so that when you get in there you can grab the right one? Which is what it is for them, a name identified who you were in your very essence. That's why God frequently in the Bible changes people's names because the name they were given didn't fit who that he created and designed them to be. And I think it's so powerful to me. It's so powerful that Jesus, my creator, my ever-living savior, teacher, my Lord, my friend, that he is the one who, who names me because the name he has for me totally reflects who I am, truly who I am, and the totality of who I am. He is the one person who can define me in everything that he designed me to be. And I find that so powerful. Only he can name me. Culture can't name me. I can't name myself. Only Jesus is the one that names me. And then finally, I said that it had to be somebody um, that's fully trustworthy. Somebody worth giving my whole heart to and my life to. Somebody that I'm convinced is not only seeking their interests, but is seeking my best interests. Someone who desires for me to fully, fully flourish and thrive. And I want you to know that person is Jesus. Look at verses 9 and 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full. Two times Jesus tells the purpose, the reason he came. In Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save the lost. And in John 10.10, I came to give life in its fullest. Isn't that powerful? You know, I love just piling up scripture. Uh, You know, this is a habit of mine. Look at what some translations say. Uh, Have life to the full. A rich and satisfying life. Have it abundantly to the full till it overflows. More and better life than you ever dreamed of. That's Jesus' intent for you. You can fully trust him with your life. Fully trust him. Do you see why Jesus is the only one I can build an identity upon? Only he's unchanging and stable. Only he is truly good in all those ways that, you know, I'm secure in him, I'm loved by him, I'm known by him, he sacrifices himself for him, he, he knows my name, he actually names me, and I can fully trust him that he has my best interests at heart. Can I show you one more thing in this text that caught my eye? Thank you for saying yes, I was going to do it anyways. One more thing. The word listen, voice, voices, occurs eight times in this text. Eight times in this text. And I've been saying this this whole series, that our world right now is full of voices, a lot of really loud voices telling you to shape your own identity, right? So many voices. That trifecta in the Bible of the world of Satan and of the flesh, that the world is just crying out, telling us, look at your desires and be authentic, and that's who you really are. And I mean, everything in the world, the media, the social media, 
um, books, movies, the education system, my peers, everything in the world is crying out and telling me to create my own identity. Satan is doubling down on that. He's telling you, yes, build and achieve identity. That's, what, that's where you find who you are. And my flesh, that Jeremiah 17, 9, part of my heart is just saying to me, yes, define yourself. You be the Lord of your life, right? You sit on the throne of your life. You have a big capital I identity where you're at the center. That's what the flesh is crying out. But look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. It calls those voices, those who come before me, thieves and robbers. And in verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And I want to tell you, the voices that are not the voice of Jesus are not out for your good. They'll destroy you. They'll destroy you. But I want you to see, related to those voices, what this says. It's really profound. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Down in verse 8, it says, they've not listened to them. Back up to verse 5. They will never follow those voices. And in fact, in right after that, the fourth thing, they will run away from those. That should be our response to all those voices. And look at their response to Jesus, the shepherd of their soul. In verse 4, at the very end, it says, they know his voice. Verse 3, they listen to his voice. And in verse 4, again, they follow his voice. So that's my cry to you. That's my cry. It's something I've been saying all along is don't listen to the loudest voices, but listen to the one true voice, and it's Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Because his voice is the only one that's unchanging, that's absolutely good, who knows you intimately, <clears throat> everything, warts and all, who knows your name, who names you. He is the only one who unconditionally loves you, who gave his life for you, um, who holds you securely, who knows how he designed you and his intent for you in this world. Only he is the one I can fully trust who wants to give me true life. So that's my challenge. Um, and the worship team. You guys are going to come out. You can come out. I just want to ask some questions, similar to what I've asked before. Upon what or whom are you building your identity? And again, are you building your identity upon who you are or upon whose you are? On who you are or whose you are? Before we sing this song enough, just to remind you, the absolutely worst place to build an identity is here, is on yourself. And the only and absolute best place to build an identity is on Jesus Christ because of what we see in John 10. Only in him will you find the identity that you're seeking. Only in him. And that's why Jesus said in Mark 8.35, if you look for yourself, you will lose yourself. But if you lose yourself for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will find yourself. So let's look only to him. And that's why when we've had this diagram, have an identity that I am whose I am. If, if you notice, it's light, but the cross is at the center of it. The Jesus has to be the center of all. Because I'm not what people think or say about me, right? I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I am whose I am. And I'm in good hands with Jesus. So would you stand? Because we want to close with that song. And we just want to de declare one last time that, that he is enough.
you say amen to that? Yeah, amen means so be it. That's the truth. I'm there. That's where I'm, that's where I'm standing. So that's really great. So can I pray? Father, Lord Jesus, you're the good shepherd. You're enough. Forgive me, forgive us for all the times we build our identity on something else and what we're saying to you is you're not enough. Only that thing is enough. Just help us to live more faithfully with our lives rooted and grounded in you, living as your beloved child, as new creation in you. Thank you for the scripture today and the things that we learn about who you are, that you're the only reliable source of an identity. And Lord, I give thanks in your name. Amen. All right, 12, there are so many people out there who are so hungry for an identity and have no clue. So live into yours and like share with those people Jesus because they so desperately need him. So 12, you are sent.